Let's bring Brother Andre and Marie on. But before I bring Brother on, let me just re let me set the stage here for this on a Wisdom Wednesday. What does the King do? Mike Church been telling you on the Mike Church show for over a year and a half now. And basically, I've been telling you since August of 2019, we're coming up on the anniversary, when Nancy Nazi Pelosi let the communist pinko commie cat out the bag and said, after fending off Shifty Schiff for two months, finally gave in and went, whack the, whack the, uh, what, the, the, he will be, uh, whack the, whack the, whack, he will be impeached, impeached, won't be petting, <laughs> I need another shot of wine box wine. He won't be whack the whack the. He won't be president January 20, 2021. The fix was already in. Remember, I told you it's going to go to the House of Representatives, and I don't know how they're going to do it, but that's how they're going to do it. Did it go? Now, I just want to know look, this is obviously this is not me. I have no skill, I have no power. I pray for it that I can inform you about these things and not be incorrect. Did I call it or did I call it? When you ask me on the morning of November the 3rd, is Trump going to win? Yes, he's going to win, but he won't be president. Before the sham impeachments in August 2019, what did I tell you? I don't know this bat poop crazy woman. I don't know what she knows, but I don't know how they're going to do it. But they're going to try and throw the 2020 election into the House of Representatives. Well, they basically did. <laughs> they did throw it to the House of Representatives. And to stop it, they had to pull the trigger on the false flag January 6th riot. This is all the continuation of the same demonic plot. Anyone that denies that the preternatural is at work here is just a fool now. So with that, I want to give you the headlines of our columns that we're going to be talking about so Maggie can put them in the chat room and you guys can follow along. <clears throat> One of the best writers in the stable of good writers, great writers at Crisis Magazine is William Kilpatrick. Today he has, is Joe Biden's confusion a heaven-sent sign? Kilpatrick comes basically to the same conclusion that I just told you that I've come to. As a matter of fact, if we skip all the way to the end of Kilpatrick's wonderful ethay, I say this not to be cruel to Biden, who is, after all, our equal in the sight of God. But in another sense, as Orwell might say, he is more equal than the rest of us. Biden, in short, is not your average Joe. He has become a sign or symbol of something larger. The point is, is that he has become the poster boy, or more accurately, the poster old man of an ideological movement that seeks to upend the order created by God. This is the man that has been chosen by a certain segment of our society to represent them in their ideology. And the lesson is that what is happening to Biden is the end result of that ideology. And then he quotes Father Paul Scalia <clears throat> on the Tower of Babel. And Father Scalia's homily is just so good on this day. Uh, the New Babel and the New Pentecost. Uh, quickly, we are witnessing the construction of a new Babel. 
Ours is a post-Christian society and anti-cult that has rejected the word of God. In our pride, we want on our own terms and by our own accomplishments what creatures can only receive from God. We have thrown off his reality about gender, sex, life, etc., 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 and tried to construct our own. Now, Father Scalia gave this homily on uh, May the 21st. I didn't see it, just saw it because of Kilpatrick. So we'll start there for today's Wisdom Wednesday and bring Brother Andre Marie on, host of Reconquest Radio here. A brand-new episode debuts tonight at 8 Eastern, 7 Central. And uh, two and a half years or so now running, we have been doing Wisdom Wednesday here. He is also the prior of the St. Benedict Center in Richmond, New Hampshire at Catholicism.org. Brother Andre, good morning. Good morning to you, Mike. How's the weather? Oh, it's a pl pleasant, cool morning. A little humid, though, because we had some rain last night, So, but it's nice. And the, uh, the roosters are... Um, Doing their crowing now. Uh, we have we have all these chickens and pigs now up on the main campus. <laughs> uh, before we get started with our, our Wisdom Wednesday, uh, I get the announcements for Our Lady of Mount Carmel uh, Church, which you went to when you were here in town. Uh, so you saw <clears throat> you, uh, you you've actually been there. Um, and on Sunday, I uh, was blessed and honored to be able to inform uh, the congregation about St. James the Greater. So I always go to Catholicism.org to see what the sisters or uh, the slaves of the Immaculate Heart have written about St. James the Greater. And I don't know who wrote that particular one, but um, it started with, and he is called St. James the Greater because he was taller than St. James the Less. Who's his <laughs> uncle, yeah. And, and I went, how, how, how would you know this? <laughs> but I chuckled and I put it in part of my text. I went, because pe people may be wondering, well, why is he St. James the Greater? Was he greater? Or, no, well, no, actually he was taller. Apparently. Yeah, he was, He and he was the, and he was the, um, so so his his the shorter one was the uncle of the taller one too. That's another thing to keep in mind. The, 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 um, the the apostolic college was a family affair. There were there were brothers and uh, uh, uncles and nephews among the apostles. Now, for those of you that aren't in our chat room, brother, are you in the chat room today? I am. Do you see the Times Picayune headline about the Latin man? You see it. I do. So uh, this this was uh, so today's Wednesday. That's actually Monday's paper, I believe. Uh, yeah, is, that, is, is that is that is that is that David's daughters? The okay, there. so from Singing. right, okay, I'll give it to you. So from, from right to left, as you're looking, that's Peter Kerr's daughter. I'm trying to remember who the uh, the one next to her is, but the third one in the picture is that that's Simpson's daughter. Oh, it's Nation's daughter, and then the third one I believe is a Simpson. Maybe the fourth one is a Simpson too. Um, that's quite a <laughs> that's quite a front page headline, given the the age in which we they live and the events of the last two weeks, isn't it? Yeah, it is. You know, and and actually, I don't think this kind of thing is completely unique, um, because uh, you, you're you're hearing people saying, "Well, you know, now that this thing's being condemned, I want to see what it is." You know, so you you've got to. It's it's almost like it it made interest in it grow. I don't know if it's the forbidden fruit um, phenomenon or. 
um, if it's just a curiosity or maybe people saying, well, gee, you know, Pope Francis does a lot of um, strange things. Uh, maybe this was, you know, maybe this is good advertising for Latin mass. I don't know. I don't pretend to understand the phenomenon, but um, it, it is it is an interesting thing to watch how people are um, now. Some people are expressing more interest in the Latin Mass than they did before. Which, by the way, was predicted by yours truly the day that it came out. I said, "Well, the first mistake is now they publicized it. Now you're going to have 400 million people around the planet going. There's still a Latin Mass." <laughs> I didn't know there was this thing called a Latin mass. Uh, so it was kind of providential. Note, though, in the photograph on the front page of the Times Pick Your Nose Fish Wrap, uh, that not only did it have the picture in the write-up and the bold uh, bold face type above the fold, there's also a page from a missile in there. There's an introit. <laughs> yeah, an, an introit from the Feast of the Blessed Virgin. So, this, yeah. is, <laughs> this is amazing. Now, I'm going to say one more thing about this. The young lady that wrote the story, um, uh, her name is Mary uh, Mary Rose or something. I can't I can't read that text. Uh, she stood for most of the mass right next to me, to my right hand. I mean, I, I mean, like three, three feet away, because uh, I had played Phil and Usher and had offered her a seat. She goes, "No, no, I'm here to report on the event." But thank you very much. Uh, she's very young. Um, at one point, I even saw that uh, she kind of uh, had uh, gotten on her knees during, I'm trying to remember if it was during the, the consecration. In any event, she was paying very, very close attention, and the story reflects that. Um, uh, that uh, the, And she went around and she asked questions. She interviewed some of the ladies, and that made it into the story. Um, it's a wonderful story. Uh, so, a so a great good thing came out of the awful Friday news. And that is that in the most widely circulated paper, and brother, when you were living here in New Orleans and growing up, there was no advocate. There was a Times-Picayune. And in the yeah, afternoon... it was a Times-Picayune state's item. They had hyphenated two papers. Right. And the state's item would come out in the afternoon when people used to get afternoon papers. Um, uh, and so there you have it. Again, Providence and uh, the old mass... Uh, making headlines. And as you said, I don't think that that's unique either. Now, that brings me to, because we're, what, eight days, uh, 11 days into this now. Um, <clears throat> there have been masses that have been abrogated, I know, because people have told us here in the chat room and sent me emails and what have you. But there's a very interesting article that you retweeted at Rorati Chaley from uh, a cardinal um, who had written this uh, this piece to say that look liturgies are not pope's play toys i think i that's a direct quote uh who is this cardinal and what did you take away from this article okay so he's he's not a cardinal his name oh, is sorry. rob rob mutzertz he's the auxiliary bishop of um a place in the netherlands which i will not presume to pronounce um, but he's, so he's Dutch. He wrote this thing in his, per, he wrote this piece on his personal blog. He wrote it in either German or Dutch. Uh, and, um, I know he used the German, some German words. It was translated, the Rorati translation of it was done by Dr. Peter Kraszniewski, who I know speaks fluent German. I don't know if he speaks Dutch. So I suspect that this bishop may have written it in German so that it would get a wider, um, a wider readership, okay. but 
Krasevsky um, translated it, and it's been sort of making the rounds, uh, th- largely owing to people tweeting it on social media and stuff. And Rorate Celli is a widely read uh, website. Yep. But um, he pulled no punches. Um, I-, I quoted it. I quoted him in something that I wrote uh, and published on our website yesterday, which which I called Traditionis Custodes Extra Ecclesium Nulla Salus and the Limits of Papal Authority. Because, of course, I wanted to put something out sort of with our own angle in it. Um, and it was, uh, but, but he and Burke both agreed um, separately in the two pieces they wrote, which were, were quite different, I think possibly just reflecting their very different personalities. Uh, obviously, th- this bishop uh, in in uh, Holland uh, has no problem coming out and being a contrarian because he's published stuff against Amoris Laetitia. He published stuff against... Um, what else was it? He published some things. He was oh, he's been openly critical of Pope Francis more than once. Okay, um, and uh, he's not even he doesn't even say the traditional Latin Mass. Some um, Ed Penton, who's possibly the the the, the greatest journalist in the English speaking world, the greatest Catholic journalist in the English speaking world, certainly the greatest Vaticanist in the English speaking uh, world. That's Edward Penton, and he writes for. Edward Penton writes usually for the National Catholic Register. Right. Okay. Because um, our, our very own Kevin Turley, KV Turley, writes for the NCR too. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, Penton is quite a quite a, um, a, a a reporter. I mean, a real you know sort of old, almost like an old fashioned you know gumshoe <laughs> type. Um, and you know he he has sources. He has deep sources inside the Vatican. He. And when he when he breaks a story and he says informed sources say it, it almost always or pretty much always um, pans out as 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 legitimate. Okay. He he's not a piker. He's not some kind of grifter. He's not a you know um, a sensationalist. Um, and uh, you know he's the one who who broke. He he's the one who exposed something really naughty that was said by Cardinal. Casper against the African bishops during the Synod of the Family. And when Casper denied that he had said it, Penton um, produced the the MP3 file that came from his iPhone, uh, which had Casper saying these very horrible things with his own voice in it. So Casper had egg on his face. Anyway, this this guy's very capable. So he, he actually contacted this bishop, um, uh, Mustertz, and said, um, is this really you? Did you really write this and put this on your blog? And the bishop said, yes, I did. And he said, well, aren't you concerned that uh, the, the, the Holy Father is going to come down on you because you're so openly critical of something he's doing? And he said, I, I think the Holy Father has more important things to do than to, to, than to worry about uh, an auxiliary bishop in uh, a, an obscure country. <laughs> and I, I wonder how much the guy said I wonder how much this bishop is saying this sort of chuckling, you know, up his double double episcopal sleeves. But um I can't say, but uh obviously I don't know, but but it's just it it's it's funny. He's obviously a character. He himself doesn't say the traditional Latin mass. He told Penton, he said, Look, this isn't a question of nostalgia for me. He said, "I'm too I'm too young to have have any real experience with the traditional Latin Mass. I've never said it. 
Um, but he is, he is, you know, complaining very loudly. And he says the key, the key is something that I, the, the, the key passage in what he wrote, although the whole thing's very worth reading. The key passage is this. He says, Pope Francis is now pretending that his motu proprio belongs to the organic development of the church, which utterly contradicts the reality. By making the Latin Mass practically impossible, he finally breaks with the age-old liturgical tradition of the Roman Catholic Church. Liturgy is not a toy of popes. It is the heritage of the church. The old Mass is not about nostalgia or taste. The Pope should be the guardian of tradition. The Pope is a gardener, not a manufacturer. Mm. Canon law is not merely a matter of positive law. There is also such a thing as natural law and divine law. And moreover, there is such a thing as tradition that cannot simply be brushed aside. Does any of this sound familiar to you, Mike? It sounds very familiar to it because we talked about it. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, uh, you know, and, I, and I'm not like taking credit for anything. It's just like, we're right. And thank God we've got people who are saying this. And and by the way, Burke, to compare that passage that you just heard from Bishop Rob Mustertz, um, the, you know, again, Dutch auxiliary bishop. So he's, you know, as bishops go, he's he's not exactly prominent. Um, but here's Cardinal Burke. Um he asks this question rhetorically and then goes on to answer it. But can the Roman pontiff juridically abrogate the UA? Now, since Pope Francis sort of de facto um, condemned the, the extraordinary, the contrast between extraordinary and ordinary form, which I was never comfortable with for serious reasons, and I'm not alone among traditionalists. Um, but but since so since the Pope vir virtually condemned that, Burke is calling it the UA, which stands for Usus Antiquior, which means the more ancient use. Um, so all throughout the document, Burke calls it the... Um, the usus antiquior or the ua as he abbreviates it so he says this so so he asked the question can the roman pontiff juridically abrogate the ua the traditional Latin mass the fullness of power plenitudo potestatis of the roman pontiff is the power necessary to defend and promote the doctrine and discipline of the church it is not absolute power, which would include the power to change doctrine or to eradicate a liturgical discipline, which has been alive in the church since the time of Pope Gregory the Great and even earlier. The correct interpretation of Article 1, uh, he's talking about of uh, Traditionis Custodes, uh, cannot be the denial that the Usus Antiquior is an uh, an, an ever-vital expression of Lex Orandi, the Roman Rite. Our Lord, who gave the wonderful gift... Th th this is a powerful sentence, Mike. Our Lord, who gave the wonderful gift of the UA, will not permit it to be eradicated from the life of the Church. <laughs> so he's saying that our... I mean, this is a canonist. This is a... You know, this is somebody who's got a legal mind. He's 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 very versed in the church's canon law. He's not just a canonist. He's I have heard him called by people who are in the know. The uh, the the even aside from his being a cardinal and one time um, prefect of the of the Supreme Apostolic Signatura, which is the highest church uh, court that there is. It's the highest court in the Catholic Church. Uh, aside from all that, he is, the, uh, on his own merits, 
uh, the 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 greatest or one of the top um, canon lawyers in the Anglosphere in the English speaking world, and one of the top in the world. So um, th this man, okay, so just just giving his credentials there. It's not you know not every cardinal who waxes eloquent about canon law is an authority on it as Burke is. But here he is trans here he is showing that there's something that transcends the letter of the law itself. He says, Our Lord who gave us the wonderful gift of the Usus Antiquior will not permit it to be eradicated from the life of the church. Notice he says, will not permit it. He's saying it's not dead. He's saying it can't be killed and it won't be killed. Um, so th these are both powerful testimonies. Yep. And my my own um just to reiterate something, because, you know, repetitious matter studio, and we keep having to repeat this. So in that piece that I wrote, the, the, the penultimate paragraph is that many argue in favor of the traditional Latin mass using quo primum. Of course, that's the decree, the bull of Pope St. Pius V. This is good. But let us go deeper and realize that what St. Pius V did in that document was not only positive legislation, it was the Pope using his power to guard and defend tradition. And that tradition, which long pre-exists, quote, primum, still stands, even if a Pope were to have the temerity to attempt an explicit abrogation of Pius V's bull. So that is, I think, something which we need to um, keep in mind. And, and this is being confirmed, though in, in different words, obviously, but by Cardinal Burke himself. It's being confirmed by Bishop uh, Rob Musteritz. Even this, this man, Burke, has said the traditional mass. He's ordained in the traditional rite. He's done all sorts of things using the traditional— Doesn't uh, he do the ordinations for the ICK? He does. He does uh, a good number of ordinations for the Institute of Christ the King. Okay. I I was present at at um, one of them. I had the honor to be present at one of them in St. Louis, where we saw an old friend of ours. Uh, not an old. Well, the the uh, the scion of a of a family who had been longtime friends of ours was ordained by him. So yeah, he does that. Um, but you've got him saying it, but you've also got Bishop uh, Rob Mustertz of um, the unpronounceable city in, in the Netherlands saying the <laughs> same thing. So, um, you know, the, these it, it seems as if they're saying this. Look, we're not engaging in a polemic about whether the, the, the new mass of Paul VI the, or, the, or the traditional right is, is better. Uh, we're not we're not arguing about that. We're saying simply this: the traditional Latin Mass is the patrimony of the of the Latin Rite of the Catholic Church and the Roman Rite of the Catholic Church, and it can't simply be cast aside. Uh, now, one of the first things that struck me when I read the document, Mike, was that the Pope, by fiat in Article One, uh, basically said the 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 Mass of Paul the Sixth is alone. It's the only, unica was the Italian word he used, it, it is the only lex orandi of the Roman rite of the Catholic Church. Well, my, in my immediate reaction when I read it was, he's attempting to, by fiat, by his own will. Reality. 
you cannot create reality. I mean, the the church, the, the whole concept of Lex Orandi has a long patrimony in the church dating back to St. Prosper of Aquitaine in his anti-Pelagian uh, um, polemics. And the very concept of it is that the way that the church traditionally prays is an expression of apostolic tradition, therefore it's a source of doctrine. That's what he's saying in that polemic. And to 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 take to to for a pope now to say that a 52 year old set of liturgical books is the only lexerandi of the roman rite is completely ahistorical and it reduces that very concept to meaningless it, it meaninglessness it reduces the very concept of luxurandi lex credendi to meaninglessness when it's the ancient rites of the church which which give us the ancient tradition that comes from the apostles Can so I- it, it's it's really a, a, pat, a patent absurdity especially when now he also makes this argument that well the traditional roman right the, the, the novus ordo paul the six is the one you know it, it contains the tradition so it passes it on well when you look at the prayers that were excised, and you realize that only seventeen percent of the original prayers made it in, I was, then no, it doesn't. I was just going to get in and say, let me read that paragraph. By the way, the church has never abolished liturgies, not even Trent. Francis breaks completely with this tradition. The motto proprio contains, briefly and powerfully, some propositions and commands. Things are explained in more detail by means of an accompanying longer statement. This statement contains quite a few factual errors. One of them is the claim that what Paul VI did after Vatican II is the same as what Pius V did after Trent. This is completely far from the truth. I guess that's his way of saying this is a big, giant, fat lie. Remember that before that time, there were various transcribed manuscripts in circulation and local liturgies had sprung up here and there. The situation was a mess. Trent wanted to restore the liturgies, remove inaccuracies, and check for orthodoxy. Trent was not concerned with rewriting the liturgy, nor with new additions, new Eucharistic prayers, a new lectionary, or a new calendar. It was all about ensuring uninterrupted organic continuity. The Missal of 1570 harks back to the Missal of 1474, and so on back to what you said, brother, the 4th century. There was continuity from the 4th century onwards. So for those of you that don't know or haven't ever uh, tried to figure this out, the 4th century would be the 300s. That's an awful long time. Um, so, uh, just confirming what you said, brother, but that's from the text, uh, the article, uh, by, uh, Rob Mutzertz, uh, auxiliary bishop, uh, Hertogon, uh, Hertogenbosch, I think it is Hertogenbosch. In any event, that's what we're talking about here, and you can read the, uh, article at Rorati Chaley, it's R-O-R-A-T-E dash Chaley, C-A-E-L-I dot blogspot dot com. Um, brother, there was another thing that uh, the Holy Father issued on Sunday, I want to say, and it was, I think it was an order, it looked to me, I was so upset after reading the first two paragraphs, I went, you know what, I'm not ruining my Sunday, it just came out of Mass, I'm not going to read it. So, so I closed the document. 
But it was some kind of, basically, he was ordering some court of some sort in Vatican City to get ready to start prosecuting people who were disobeying the motu proprio, if I understood it correctly. Wait, wait, he was wanting people who disobeyed the motu proprio? I missed it. He, he, was, he was basically telling his court, get ready. Here are the rules that I want you to implement, and if you see people breaking these rules, then you need to bring them in and prosecute them. And I, I'm hmm. paraphrasing. That's not the language that he used. That's what I took away from it. Um, and the person that had tweeted it to me went, you, you better read this one sitting down. So uh, <laughs> I was actually driving and going, I think I'm just not going to read this on Sunday. Um, yeah, you get a little road rage, huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, at the end of the day, though, here, uh, here's what we see is happening. It wasn't just the people that you mentioned. Don't forget about Bishop Cordelione, which I know you blogged about at Catholicism.org. And uh, the canon law, I believe, of 1984, that, uh, is it 84 or 83? 83. 83. And another bishop is going like, well, here, this is what you do. And then he quoted the canon law. And then another bishop, I believe, had uh, had acted upon this. Um, the long story short is this. The old right of mass is not going anywhere. The attempt to assassinate it is going to fail. I think it already has failed. Um, now, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be an internecine feud of some sort, uh, which I guess we're seeing the beginning uh, phases of right now. Um, but, you know, even surprisingly, and I'm sure he has an ulterior motive to this, God forgive me for saying this, but even Supich came out with like, hey, hey, whoa, pump the brakes for a second here. We can't just start ending entire communities. So... I don't know what he's up to, but yeah. And Stupich is died. So the 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 American headquarters of the Institute of Christ the King is in Stupich's archdiocese. So is Saint John Cantius, right? Yes, and from what I understand, they still. But but Saint John, the, the Cantius guys do both. That's they right. They do the traditional mass and the Novus Ordo. And I, I'm not bashing them and saying that. Obviously, I wouldn't do that. It's I don't agree with the this pseudo by ritualism, but. Um, but I've been there, and they're really remarkable men. I, 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 the, the, the superior who was horrifically disgraced unjustly by said Supich, um, uh, who's now you know had to be returned to his old order, and he's living in some kind of hell in St. Louis. Mm. Um, the, uh, he was very gracious to, to, to me, and he helped us out on a little project we were doing. But um, the, the, the uh, those guys, I, I, I think, maybe say, see, they've been denied the use of the traditional mass for ordinations and, and similar things, um, which they were allowed by earlier cardinal archbishops of Chicago. But the, the Institute guys don't do the new mass. It's just a traditional rite. So how much their, their typical sort of uh, diplomatic skills will help them through this crisis, I, I cannot say. I did speak to one of their priests on uh, Monday. I went to a mass, a solemn mass, celebrated by uh, a, a young um, priest of the Institute of Christ the King. And, um, you know, he was, you know, <laughs> somebody asked him, is, is, is has the Institute made a statement on, on Traditionis Custodes yet? And I looked at this person like, yeah, that's not going to happen. And, he's, <laughs> and, he, and he said, no. He says, 
Well, you know what we think of it anyway, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> they're very, they're very, very diplomatic. Um, but my my uh, my my fear is that their diplomacy uh, is not going to help them when they get um, the, the, when they get canonical visitators sent to their seminary in Cuchigliano, which is in the Archdiocese of Florence. Uh, my fear is also that the same thing is going to happen when canonical visitators show up. At Denton, Nebraska, at, at and at Vigratzbad, Germany, for the Fraternity of Saint Peter, and similar places, the the seminary of the Institut du Bon Pasteur in in France. Um, there will probably be more. I mean, some of the monastic orders, the the canons regular. There are a bunch of orders out there, a bunch of societies of apostolic life and institutes of consecrated life that that offer the traditional mass. And now, you know, it, it's this would be mystifying to most of the people who just go to the traditional mass. Their only experience of the mass is in their parishes and or so forth. But if you don't know the the the, the higher politics that's at work in the church, <laughs> one of the most devastating provisions of that of that um, modo proprio is that the fraternity and the institute and similar outfits are now no longer under Ecclesia Dei or its temporary successor, which was the fourth section of the CDF that Francis created. But they are, in liturgical matters, they're answerable to the to the Congregation for Divine Worship, and in matters of their own, you know, government as institutes, they're answerable to the um, the Congregation for Institutes of Consecrated Life and Societies of Apostolic Life. These two congregations uh, uh, are not traditionally what these so-called Ecclesia Dei um, institutes were ever, were ever answerable to. And one of them, the Congregation for Divine Worship, has openly hostile anti-traditionalists in it, uh, one of whom was characterized as by a, a, a Vatican source uh, or by a Roman source as the, the, the most anti-traditional bishop in the world. So <laughs> great, great. So Pope Francis packed it with tradie haters and then put the tradies under it. Um, and, you know, what could possibly go wrong? Um, and um, so I, I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that we're going to get, uh, that it's likely that we're going to get a sort of Franciscan fire of the immaculate kind of um, scenario whereby they get commissioned and, and, and they get basically sort of ruined from within. Um, it, it, it's a theory, and I hope I'm wrong. I don't. I, I have friends in both of these groups, and 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 and, and uh, I don't want them to be harmed. We we have but, a, uh, a young man from Mandeville, Louisiana, who's in Denton at the FSSP. There are three Louisianians in the uh, Institute of Christ the King: Father Todd or Canon Todd. Canon um, Gardner, and I forget the other one's name. I think he's a, a, a more recently ordained one. Um, the, these men, and Canon Todd, again from Louisiana, he's up here in Connecticut. So uh, I, I really hope uh, for that for their sakes that that nothing uh, devastating happens to these groups. Yet uh, I, I fear that it will, and I uh, and and I, f I fear that people are going to be having to make some extremely difficult decisions. Yeah, no, in, in the months to come. Let me give you some pop culture that may help you uh, unpack a little of this and see what might happen. 
Go watch. The only place you can see this on that I know of is at Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O.com. Now, they had it three years ago or four years ago. I don't know if they still have it. It's a 1971 Martin Sheen and Trevor Howard film called The Catholics. I know you've seen it, brother. Yes, I have. Okay. Now, what happens in that movie is basically what you just described. Martin Sheen arrives on the island where the only place in the world where the Latin mass is still being said to do his uh, Kung Fu uh, Buddhist uh, meditation and then to tell and to get the prior basically on board to kill it from within. Um, and tr and the, uh, the, the, pr the prior is the great English actor, character actor, Trevor Howard. And at the end of the film, you find out that the betrayal has already been set up and the poor brothers uh, and the cannons, I guess, at that island have been offered up as sacrificial lambs and their order is going to be annihilated is the end result of it. It's a, it's a tragic, tragic, tragic film. Uh, but the filmmaker does manage to capture uh, the, the beauty that is the old right. Uh, the the right, let's call it what is T capital T capital R. Um, again, do not uh, you need to give me the link. I don't have the link, I haven't seen it in four years. I'm just telling you where I know it was. It was on Vimeo, and I believe that they changed the title of the film. They it, did. I it, was about to say that. Yeah, it used to be the Catholics, and I think they changed it to something else, right? I think they called it just Catholics. Is it Catholics then, now? And then they, no, I think it was simply called Catholics without the de definite article. Okay. But then, um, then, then they changed it to a longer thing and I can't remember the name of it, but yeah, Martin Sheen was in it. There were some good actors in it. It was a bizarre film, but, totally. um, but it, but it, but it, it did sort of reflect the kind of, uh, um, zeitgeist in the church in the seventies. Now, moving on here on wisdom Wednesday, this portion of the program brought to you by, our friends, and you know him, at Stinger Edge Sunglasses, S-T-N-G-R Edge, for a custom fit, custom lens fit of the best best warranty sunglasses and eyeglass and eyewear protection you're going to get anywhere in North America. Visit our friends at stngredge.com. Stinger Edge, take the sunglass quiz, and it will put you in the right frame size, right frame shape, and right color lenses. Your lenses are warrantied for life. You can't break them. But you can try if you want. Uh, help, uh, the development was done by law enforcement and many others that work in uh, high tech with these carbonate substances. Get yourself a pair today. Support a day one advertiser and sponsor here, the Crusade Channel. Head on over to stngredge.com. Use coupon code CRUSADE at checkout. Or as, as Tommy would say, CRUSADE. Shade. <laughs> uh, uh, take 10% uh, off your order. Again, stngredge.com. So, so, so we have somebody in the chat room said it was renamed to The Conflict, and that sounds right. Okay. By the by, our chat room is dying on the vine this past hour. Uh, had 105 in it, now down to 88. Crusade Sorry, channel. Mike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, truth doesn't sell. We know this. You start preaching truth, you lose listeners, support, friends, family members. Um, we know this. We, we, we could have started with 150 and wound up with 30. Um, CrusadeChannel.com forward slash chat. Brother, I want to talk about William Kilpatrick. Uh, and I don't know if you got a chance. I don't know if you had a chance. Let me use some proper English. 
to review this uh, essay. For I read those, the piece. Okay, so those that don't know, Kilpatrick is one of the better. You said Penton is one of the best Catholic journalists out there. My opinion, and I've been reading Kilpatrick since I used to get the old conservative chronicle back in the late 80s or early 90s. Kilpatrick is one of the best columnists on our side that lives. Yeah. And he's been doing it like Joe Sobrin. He's been doing it for 40 some odd years. So when you see a piece by uh, by William Kilpatrick, stop and read it. Uh, he makes a lot of sense. Been covering this stuff forever. Uh, he's got a really good intuition or, or intuitive sense about him. So today's essay is, is Joe Biden's confusion a heaven-sent sign? Now, some people may read that and go like, man, Milka, what? Heaven-sent? Well, read Kilpatrick and you'll see where he's going with this. And I read it and I went, hmm, maybe it is. Maybe this is our just dessert. And then he sets this uh, scenario up, says, suppose you were watching a recent edition of the Ingram Angle on Fox News with your 12-year-old son or daughter, Laura Ingram and Raymond Arroyo are discussing President Biden's incoherent responses to questions posed to him during a CNN town hall event. And then he provides a transcript, which I'm not going to bore you with. Um, <clears throat> continuing, I don't know how your child would respond, but I can imagine that some sensitive 12-year-olds might react by saying, they shouldn't make fun of him. And if Joe Biden was just a private citizen, that would be absolutely right. But other children recognizing that Biden is, in fact, a very public figure whose decisions affect the lives of hundreds of millions of people might have a different reaction. They might ask, how did he get to be president? Or they might wonder, can't they make him resign? Now, this is just a setup, but these are profound questions that few people have even uh, uh, have even contemplated or pondered or debated. Uh, and certainly no one that I know of outside of Kilpatrick has written about this. But, <clears throat> brother, you and I have been talking about a return to some form of Christendom government, governance, uh, a return to monarchy, or real republics with real uh, canons, or cantons rather, or counties that have actual power, um, and where there is a decentralization here. Um, and in that system, you know, if you pursue Brother Andre Marie's definition of the common good, then each particular baron or duke or president or whatever you want to call him um, in each one of those entities has a pretty profound responsibility when it comes if he is selected for that task uh, when it comes to executing that task and brother andre if i could have you read charles's book on blessed carl yes i did okay so i'm in the last third now and i'm really enjoying it. i'm learning so much i'm gonna have to go back and read it again and, and mark it up and destroy it <laughs> so i could never sell oh. it at a used bookstore um He's getting to the part of where Charles has been betrayed by everyone in the world, it seems. Um, even the guy that he ultimately uh, helps to get elected in Austria to prevent the Anschluss of the Germans or the annexing of Austria ultimately uh, betrays him. But he he never loses sight. And this is to me what, uh, what, what Charles' uh, brilliance as an author is and what just uh, starts coming off the page. 
is that, and this is where I kind of wanted to start our conversation about Biden because he's the anti-blessed Carl, that this man, this, this Habsburg, he took so seriously, I mean, like life and death, and I'm, talk, I'm talking eternal life and death for him, that if he was not a holy emperor, trying to be holy, and always looking out for not only the corporeal, as St. Augustine would say, well-being of his subjects, but more importantly, their eternal well-being or, you know, state of grace, as it were. And that's what I'm getting out of this, that, and he just could not be deterred from this. He never lost faith. Now, again, I have about 100 pages left, so don't spoil the ending for me. But <laughs> when he doesn't lose faith, he keeps family close, keeps the faith even close. He's going to Mass every day. To me, I'm reading this, and I'm going like, yeah, this is, this is our modern model. It can be done. Now, he certainly wasn't successful in the secular world with it, that we could say as we measure success. But he is the anti-Biden, or Biden is the anti-Carl. And you couldn't get a greater dichotomy or a better example of what one should do and what one shouldn't do. And that then goes back to Kilpatrick's point here about, well, how did he get to be president? A bunch of diabolically inspired people conspired to not be blessed, not be holy, and not be for the real common good or even the corporeal common good, and they elected him. That's how he became president. And that's what I take away from this part of Kilpatrick's wonderful essay is Biden's confusion to have a sense sign. Yeah, well, he links to the Father Paul Scalia article, which which I read as well, and Paul, Father Scalia is leaning heavily on C.S. Lewis at the beginning. There's this banquet scene in the movie that hideous, uh, in the book rather, that hideous strength. I think it's that hideous strength. It's one of the. I'm not a huge Lewis fan. I read some of his books years ago, but I quit reading him. Um, but uh, the, I think it's that hideous strength. There's this scene where people just start speaking gibberish. And I think Lewis is getting a point across about, you know, that the, these people are opposed to, to truth, therefore, and, and of course, language is a vehicle for communicating truth, and therefore they've sort of been punished uh, Tower of Babel style to, to uh, communicating in, in only gibberish and therefore being unable to communicate. So we have to remember that if you when you look when you look at the whole psyop that's going on here uh it, they're using twitter and facebook and all these social media um things uh these social media tools platforms and in doing so of course they, you have to use language that's what you're constrained to use um some sort of language even if it's an emoji that's language of, of a sort uh but there's not it's it it, it, it violates the purpose of language the purpose of language is to communicate truth. That's it. Now, you can have poetry, which which communicates truth truth at a loftier level, uh, where there's art involved, as well as um, the, the pure logic of language uh, and the meanings of words. But still, that's the purpose of language. It's to communicate truth. And when language is used for something other than that, it's being abused. And uh, therefore, you know, the punishment for that is, well, take away the ability to use the language. So God, God punished the, the, those who were building the Tower of Babel 
um, who wanted to be sort of divine according to their own um, agenda, who wanted to be divine, rise up to God's level by their own manufacture, by their own technology, haha, right? Um, uh, God punished them by d- destroying their language, by you know, separating their tongues, giving them 70 languages, and, and they were not able to communicate with one another. Uh, and this is where, you know, the, uh, this is where languages get born. The diver- this is where the diversity of languages gets born, and we're not all just speaking Hebrew. Um, so this uh, th- this was a punishment that God visited upon them for, in a sense, denying God's truth. Right. So we get this in the C.S. Lewis book, and um, Father Paul Scalia makes that point, and K- Kirkpatrick banks off that and says, you know, look, Biden's up there showing what he is by being this sort of sign, not of communication of truth, but this sign of gibberish is yep. very. His very gibberish is sort of an anti-word, whereas the word, you know, and, and of course, what I said about language communicating truth, you, you know, we see this in its loftiest, its highest, when we see the word that St. John used to describe our Lord in, in principio ad verbum, you know, and arche, um, oh, I forget the Greek, um, logos is the Greek word, of course, but I'm forgetting the whole sentence, Um in Archaean Hologos, that's it. Uh, in the beginning was the Word. So uh, our Lord is a communication of the very essence of what the Father is. The second person is a communication of the essence of what the Father is. And that's why he's called Word. That's one of the many reasons why he's called Word, Logos in Greek, which means way more than the word Word does in English. Uh, so this is, a, this is an important um, thing to keep in mind that the very... The, the language is to communicate truth, and when you abuse that, well, you invite upon yourself uh, a culture of lies, right? Yep. Or, or, and and in its and in its most absurd, in its most baroque, in its most uh, extreme form, it's a culture of sheer gibberish. Uh, so you know, now we have the sort of apotheosis of gibberish in Joe and Joe Biden. Um. On Twitter this morning, one of the apotheoses is that you could see <laughs> gibberish. Uh, someone uh, tweeted this and uh, tagged me in it. I don't think I tagged you. But there is a... Uh, I'm just going to read it to you because I'll blow it if I don't. Um, there is a medical school out there. Here it is. Barry Weiss, who is a recovering New York Times columnist. You know her story? She basically quit the New Teenochtitlan Times because she was in I don't a... Know. Okay, well, she basically quit the New Teenochtitlan Times because she was starting to see some of the uh, uh, the lies and deceit that they were doing. She was in an editorial board meeting, and they basically said, you know, did the whole pronoun thing and said, you know, you have to do this. And she went, so you want me to, like, defy what my eyes see, <laughs> what I know to be true, and you want me to write about it. And they went, yep. And she went, nope. And she quit. To her credit, she quit. She walked away. Here's what she tweets. To your language thing, brother. Some of the country's top medical students are being taught that humans are not like other animals, like other mammals. A species comprising two sexes. The notion of sex they are learning is just a man-made creation. Now, 
This is utter, sheer, suicidal madness here. If you're, if you're going to start ordaining or whatever the uh, licensing doctors that cannot distinguish or have been taught not to distinguish between male and female, how are you going to do ovary surgeries? How are you going to do prostate surgery? I, I, how you? And there's millions of other possibilities where things can go wrong. And she and a couple of doctors come on and go like, um, "There's no medical school that's teaching that." And she follows it up and goes like, "Yeah, there is. Here it is, right here. It's a, and it's a medical school in California. We should expect to see this." So basically, now the medical profession. Went Wait, from, what, what does the medical school in California teach? I, I missed the contours of that. So it's a very lengthy article. I'll just uh, try to skim so it. What is it that the medical school in California is teaching? That there, I'm, I'm, that there, that there is no natural construct of male female. Oh wow! Yeah, I mean, I mean, Mike. The, some of the worst people through this whole so-called pandemic. Some of the worst people are the the quote-unquote medical professionals. Yep. I had to go to a hospital last night to pick up a friend who had an emergency, and and he didn't have anybody else to pick him up. Um, and, and the other, uh, brother Joseph Mary and brother Louis Marie are, are, are out of town right now, um, on a mission. And so, uh, I went and picked up my, my friend Bob and, you know, they, they, they want me to, of course, to wear a mask to go into the, into the place. I, 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 uh, I, I stuck one on my face for, I think four seconds and I was like, no, I'm not going to do this. So I just took it off and kept walking <laughs> and I go up to pick up my friend in the urgent care ward. And the nurse says, uh, Oh, Oh, do you, you have to wear a mask? I said, Oh, I, I don't wear those. And <laughs> she looks at me like I'm crazy. And then the security guard comes in and says, you have to wear those. I said, I'm not gonna, sorry. And they, uh, I was just there to pick up my friend, literally to grab him in a wheelchair, take him down the elevator and take him out to the car and, 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 and take him to his house. I was not in the hospital to be treated. I was going to be there very, 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 very short time. Um, and you got people walking around the hospital with their, with their masks hanging down off below their noses and stuff. I mean, it's like, they, they act like if, if any, any uh, exhale exhalation comes out of you, and it's not through the face diaper. You know, everybody's going to die of the plague. It's just such a. But my point is that you know the, the thing ended with you know I'm being called rude by the 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 security guard. I, I, he he said, "Yeah, it's our hospital. You have to follow our rules." I said, "It's my face. <laughs> it's my face." I looked at him, and the thing is, they're crazy. They're they're crazy. They're just they, they 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 live in this bubble of unreality. But the sad thing is that bubble is huge and it's enveloping everyone. So to answer your question about okay, what are they doing at this medical school, Barry Weiss? During a recent endocrino endocrinology course at a top medical school in the University of California system, a professor stopped mid lecture to apologize for something he'd said at the beginning of class. Quote. I don't want you to think that I am in any way trying to imply anything. And if you can summon some generosity to forgive me, I would really appreciate it. The physician says in a recording provided by a student in the class, whom I'll call Lauren. Again, I'm very sorry for that. It was certainly not my intention to offend anyone. The worst thing that I can do as a human being is be offensive. His offense? Using the term 
pregnant women. <gasps> I said, now back to the professor, I said when a woman is pregnant, which implies that only women can get pregnant, and I most sincerely apologize to all of you. Close quote. Mary Weiss, wasn't the first time Lauren had heard an instructor apologize for using language that to most Americans would seem utterly inoffensive. Words like male and female. Why would medical school professors apologize for referring to a patient's biological sex? Because Lauren, who's a, st a student, explains in the context of her medical school Acknowledging biological sex can be considered transphobic. That's a quote. Close quote. <clears throat> this is utter and sheer stupid. This is just frivolous and stupid, but it's also deadly. Oh, yeah. This yeah. Is, it's, you're well, and and it's trying to. It's a form of nominalism in a sense. It's 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 they're taking the words to to try to create by creating new words, and by and by redefining words, they are attempting to create reality. It's like it's like making the day go faster by moving the hands on the clock. It doesn't work. <laughs> you know the the cl the clock is itself a sign. It's a sign of a reality. It tells us how many minutes have passed in the day since since midnight, right? Um, th this is not what uh, – th th this is the purpose of a clock. The clock doesn't make reality. The clock tells us something about this this me measure of this, this wonderful accident that we call time. And I mean accident in the Aristotelian sense of the word. Um, but and, and words are signs too, and they convey meanings. And if you just redefine the words, um, you've you've made, you've made an idiot of yourself, but you haven't altered the reality. But the thing is, they're doing it so effectively by mass communication and by the in indoctrination that takes place in government schools. I think we should stop calling them public schools or government schools. Government schools, that's right. Government indoctrination centers. Um, the kind of indoctrination that takes place there is is very effective. I mean, they're not teaching them anything decent. I mean, the, the, the education educational standards are horrible, but uh, they're effective at turning them into wards of the nanny state uh, and into un unthinking people who believe that you know men can get pregnant and and um, whatever you know all these other fantasies. Well, and then there is the, uh, if you continue on, you read a little bit more. Uh, in 2019, the New England Journal of Medicine reported the case of a 32-year-old transgender man who went to an ER complaining of abdominal pain. While the patient disclosed he was transgender, his medical records did not. He was simply a man. The triage nurse determined that the patient, who was obese, was in pain because he'd stopped taking a medication meant to relieve hypertension. This was no emergency, she decided. She was wrong. The patient was, in fact, pregnant and in labor. By the, by the, by the time hospital staff realized that, it was too late. The baby was dead, and the patient, despite his own shock at being pregnant, was shattered. What? How, how does a how, how does a female become 
so detached from the reality of, and I'm not trying to be gross here, but feminine physiology, female physiology, certain things happen every month. <laughs> certain other things get bigger during pregnancy uh, out of the ordinary. Again, I'm not trying to offend, but... <laughs> Well, they did make the point that the that the um, quote unquote man was obese. So, and I think that was the cover for the malpractice that well, we couldn't tell because he was so fat. But um, the thing is, the guy identified himself. Uh, the, the woman identified herself as a man, which threw off the doctors. And so the doctors, not uh, yeah, yeah, the doctors not thinking that well, no one would come in here and just lie. Well, if a came into the emergency room with abdominal pain, they would immediately do a pregnancy test. But because she came in as a he, that question was never asked. But the parts still work the same. Whether you're living in a fantasy world or not, you still get pregnant if you're a woman and having sex. So, um, the medical... You know, we don't usually get Maggie minutes on Wisdom Wednesdays. This, this is like, this is like, you know... When two constellations sort of collide into each other. I think it's great. <laughs> it is indeed. Um, uh, but I want to continue the Wisdom Wednesday conversation here because, f folks, it is imploding on them. The, the attempt to destroy reality or our, uh, I gosh, brother, help me out. I'm going to use the wrong language. Our cognition of reality, what, what what you call, what, what philosophers call sense knowledge, right? What my eyes see, mouth tastes, ears hear, yeah. fingers yeah. touch. Your external senses are cognitive. They are cognitive faculties. Well, they, they help you to know. They can't be repealed. <laughs> you can't no. repeal them. And you also can't tell them, uh, yeah, that's not hot. Uh, yeah, it is. I just burned off the tips of my fingers. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, ultimately, this is an assault, not, it, it, not only is it an assault on reality, it ultimately actually is, a, is an assault on life. This is an attempt to just, like, end life. Let's all become robots so you never get burned. Gee, what a great life that will be. Now, Kilpatrick kind of makes that point at the end of the essay. So if we fast forward uh, through the other examples, our present confusion is over the nature of reality itself. A number of people in our society have lost touch with certain essential realities. And because these people wield considerable power, they are demanding that the rest of us assent to their delusional version of reality. Thus, you are required to agree that there are many different genders, that girls can become boys, that men can become pregnant, and that letting boys into the girls' changing rooms is perfectly normal and desirable. Moreover, you are not supposed to notice that Joe Biden, one of the chief proponents of unreality, is no longer playing with a full deck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, 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 Mike, you know, this is all, in a sense, uh, the... The culmination, the logical um, conclusion, uh, or I should say the logical next step of a lot of the false philosophies that we study in, in Brother Francis's course on polemics, it's existentialism, because existentialism says, well, we're not interested in 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 essences, we're interested in existence, and, you're, and you can make your own existence. 
Well, th- that's why I wrote the piece uh, a couple years ago uh, called Jean-Paul Sartre, Bathroom uh, bathroom bill philosopher extraordinaire, something like that. Remember when all those bathroom bills were yeah. going around? Yes, you know, yes, so yes. Men can't go into women's bathroom and stuff. Well, this guy uh, basically said you can you can make yourself what you want to be. A- existence precedes essence. That's what he said. Now that sounds like highfalutin philosophical mumbo jumbo. That's not going to have any practical um, ramifications for people in their daily lives. But uh, no, that's not the case. It's high. It's yes. It's highfalutin philosophical mumbo jumbo. Emphasis on the mumbo jumbo because it is gibberish. It's false, but it does have ramifications because people do believe it and people do implement it. And this is what you get: uh, gibberish in real life. So um, imagine if Joe Joe Biden's gibberish could somehow be. Um, you know, through some sort of 3D printer turned into reality. What an ugly reality it would be. Well, we're getting that with these um, with these false philosophies of nominalism and existentialism and, 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 and Kantianism. I mean, Kantianism, you know, tells us we can't know truth as it is. Well, if that's the case, then you can't trust your senses. So, you know, the, 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 the big, the big fat, guy that walks into the hospital is is that a guy or is it a gal you know that they're, they're trying to make your senses unreliable by deceiving you um so you know we're, we're the, the 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 chickens are coming home to roost of all of these anti-logos systems of, of thought and we're becoming a dysfunctional sort of gibberish imbibing society yes um and an example of this, if you need a real-world example, and I believe that Brother Francis uses this in Philosophia Perennis in the course, is that, um, again, he uses trees a lot. When he talks about, if I say tree, uh, a tree's existence is not dependent upon my recognition of it or um, I'm trying to, well, you know how he says it. Uh, the tree will still exist if I don't see it. Um, yes. So the tree is over there in Japan. I can't see the little kabuki tree or whatever the, whatever they call those little bonsai tree. I can't see the little bonsai tree, but it exists. It, it And it doesn't matter whether I see it or whether I say, well, I don't think that bonsai trees exist. I don't think the trees exist. The bonsai tree is going to go like, well, I'm sucking water out of this ground up here, and it's a pretty day to be expanding my branches, bro. Um, now, this may see sim- same, see sim- seem simple, redundant, and come on, Mike, you're not really me. Well, yeah, the tree does not need me to see it to exist. But the reality, or the lack of reality, these people are pursuing is exactly that. Oh, that's a, that's a female. No, it's not. Uh, yeah, it is. No, it's not. It's a boy. No, it's not a boy. It, 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 <laughs> the female is going to exist whether I say it's a female or not. That's the reality. And that's what they're in denial of, right? Am I right? Yeah, okay. yeah. They're, they're in denial of reality, and they're cloaking that uh, denial of reality with just meaningless verbiage. And now, and he- I say meaningless, <clears throat> that they attach a meaning to it, that the meaning is false. So you can only do that so much, and you become blinded to the truth yourself, and that that's the that's the that's the price you pay. Okay, you 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 want the lie, 
God will you you want the lie? Okay, then all you'll see is lies. Yes. Read Romans chapter one, right? Read Romans chapter one, and you see that they 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 worshipped and adored the the creature rather than the creator. They believed a lie. So God says, okay, you want to lie? I'll give you a lie. You want to lie? I'll give you Joe Biden. You don't want truth in speech? I'll give you some some senile old bat who speaks gibberish. And I know that sounds uncharitable to a fellow Catholic, but uh, Mr. Biden is a murderer. He's got blood on his hands. Mr. Biden is an enemy of our Lord Jesus Christ, the King. So kind words for him I don't think are in order. So so let's get to Kilpatrick's conclusion, or his his, his penultimate conclusion, or he's warming up to it. Is it possible, so I ask you, Brother Andre, that Joe Biden's deterioration is a sign from God, which you just said, a sign of what happens to a society that ignores the reality God has created and insists on creating its own? Although Biden is commander-in-chief of the Army, Navy, and Air Force, he is quite visibly no longer in control of himself. Like the prideful characters at the banquet scene in Lewis's novel, the Hide- That Hideous Strength, Biden intends to say something lucid, but what comes out of his mouth is pure babble. During these lapses, Biden seems to be waiting for instructions All those puppet-on-a-string caricatures of him suddenly seem believable. He looks more and more like a ventriloquist dummy or a mechanical wind-up toy. The new animatronic Joe Biden in Disney World's Hall of Presidents looks more lifelike than the president himself. Then Then he says, in all bold, I say this not to be cruel to Biden, who is, after all, our equal in the sight of God, but in another sense, as Orwell might say, he is more equal than the rest than the rest of us. Biden, in short, is not just your average Joe. And then and he says that Biden is the result of an ideology. Um, and then he quotes Paul, uh, Father Paul Scalia in his Tower of Babel here. Uh, Kilpatrick really has just nailed it. I mean, that, that, that's, that's it. And you can expect more of it. And you can expect it to get worse. Because these people, look, they're staring now the reality now. People like us, doctors around the world, clinicians, epidemiologists, uh, MDs, um, and name your doctorate, who have actually studied uh, the corona jab, the deaf jab, whatever you want to call it, in all three of its forms, have been warning that a mass vaccination like this with an unproven, unproven and untested substance on a vast majority of a population, you have no idea of the medical or the biological zeitgeist you are going to unleash. They're reaping the whirlwind of it now. Now, brother, just in since the last time you and I talked, a week ago, you and I were criminals. We were being accused of murdering people. You're not vaccinated. That means that you're you're carrying out such a virus, this evil stuff that's out there killing people, and they're getting and they're dying. Now, the actual evidence, the reality is, the vaxxed are the ones primarily infected with the Corona Doom Delta. The Delta Doom variant, or scariant as I call it, the scariant 
They're the ones that are spreading it. They're, and according to Dr. Peter McCullough, who was on the show on Monday, their bodies are the ones that actually created it or caused the original uh, uh, SARS-CoV-2-19 uh, to, to mutate. It's on them now. So now the reality of what they have done, which defied common sense, wisdom, and since we started talking about sacred tradition, medical tradition, and all history, in their defiance of it, and in their and what reality did, did, did they refute, brother? Herd immunity, God's immunity, what he programmed into every living creature on this earth. We have immunity to all sorts of pathogens, bacteria, virus, protozoa, amoebas, you name it. Uh, sometimes they're even good, right? You need certain bacteria to digest, for example. They rejected it. There is no such thing. They even said it in some of the literature. I heard Jim Zaki say, uh, well, we, uh, Dr. Fauci has repealed natural herd immunity. That doesn't exist anymore. We now know that the only immunity that's achievable is immunization immunity. Yeah, it, it, so that's a perfect example of redefining things. So immunity equals immunity from a vaccine. Right. So there is no other kind of immunity. So, of course, that's absurd. Anybody who knows uh, basic stuff about the immune system knows that that's an absurdity. There was immunity from things before vaccines came into existence. In fact, real vaccines base themselves upon that reality that pre-exists the v development of vaccines. Real vaccines are, 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 are use the body's natural immune system. That's the whole point. That's how they're created. So the unreality, this, this, this horrid made-up world that they created, they now have to live in. Now, I I don't know if you know well, anyone. No, they don't have to live in it. They well, don't, we they have, don't to have, to have to live in it. We have yeah. to live in it. Um, <laughs> the, elite, the elites, to see, a, a lot of this, Mike, these are the same elites who have been doing this kind of thing for 100 years or more. They're, they're, uh, th these are oligarchic families. They're population control fanatics. They think they're so much better than everybody else. These are the people who 100 years ago were talking, and, and even less than that, were talking about people that they considered less than themselves as imbeciles, and they th thought that forced sterilization was perfectly appropriate, and they were actually doing it. Yes, they were. Wide-scale forced sterilizations in this country. Um, and they said, you know, one generation of imbeciles is enough. This is a Supreme Court justice who said this. So they've been they've been at this. The elites have been doing this stuff for a very, very long time. This is it's not it shouldn't surprise us that now it's become global. You know, in uh, the United States, uh, this effort, effort was primarily led by that wretched witch, Margaret Sanger, um, by the by uh, by uh, by the start of World War Two. You can go out there, and I found them. I published them on MikeChurch.com before. I think they might have even made their way into the chat room. You can find photographs of people that had that were that were made poster families because they had entered into the League of Parenting. I think it was called. What was the League of Parenting? Basically, they had agreed to sterilize themselves because they were stupid. I'm not. You can, I'm not making this up. This happened in the United States. People, that didn't happen to me. Yes, it did. It most certainly did. And Sanger was the was the leader, and, and you know, Junkbond did a uh, reverse deception episode on this because I asked him to look into it, and he did. 
And he traced it all the way back to Malthus and then went forward and said, you know, there was a conference that was held in Germany. I can't remember the name of it, but it was held like in the, the mid-1930s. And Sanger was there and that witch from England. I can't remember. It was a stone. Uh, who was the big abortionist contraceptionist in England? I know who you mean. Uh, the name's not coming to me. I think it's Stopes. Stopes. Marie Stopes. Stopes. Stopes, Stopes was there. St Sanger was there. Mangala was there. Name your henchmen that was in on all this. They were all there. And what did they talk about? They talked about, you know, when people go, like, dude, they were trying to create the master human race. Well, kind of. They were trying to just exterminate all those that didn't look like them. <laughs> Whether that made a master race or not is, 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 is immaterial to the question. What they were trying to do was replicate themselves because, as you said, they thought they were perfect. Yeah, and 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 don't and don't forget that Mr. Uh, Gates, Bill Gates's daddy, worked for Planned Parenthood. So there's a continuum here. There is a continuum. These are the same globalist elites, the same the same type of guys that that give us, you know, the bank, the elite banksters and all that give us the 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 Federal Reserve and all that. The yep. guys who, whether we're in a communist country, a socialist country, a capitalist country, it doesn't matter. They're always on the top of the food chain because it transcends politics. And uh, they always throw in, it seems, with and not it seems, uh, with evil. So <clears throat> just to wrap this up. Um. And brother, I'm just—I mentioned this at the start of the show, and I said I was going—I uh, wasn't going to drag brother Andre into this, and I'm not going to. But I'm just going to end our wisdom Wednesday with this, um, uh, and I'm going to actually ask Michael Hitchborn because he wrote a screen, screenplay about the the humans that lived with Noah before the flood, and then why certain things happened to Noah. After the flood, Hitchburn has a very unique explanation of it, which is why when my friend sent me that text message that I sent to you, brother, I didn't laugh it off and go like, oh, that's stupid. Well, no, it's not. I mean, it, it, I, 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 we're not going to explore it here. But uh, what she basically is, is, has said is, um, and there is some basis for this, or a little bit anyway, uh, at the time that Noah, that God went to Noah and said in Genesis that you know this world was irredeemable, and that he was gonna he was gonna kill off the the human race, um, except for Noah. And he told Noah to build the ark. Um, uh, there was um, so uh, 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 there was iniquities that were going on that aren't completely described in Genesis. They are referred to right, um, and uh, you know, uh, I, I guess uh, how would you how would you describe what the iniquities were that that caused God to say, "Okay, that's it. I'm restarting the whole. I'm hitting the reset button." Is well, they were they were perverse. I okay, mean, they perverse. were they were they were engaged in in immoral behavior. Okay, so we'll, we'll leave it at perversities. Um, I think we've trumped them. <laughs> not to be coy with the that's not a pun. Uh, we now promote perversities as normalities. Yeah, well, we don't know the full extent of the measure of their perversity. I mean, there was probably demonic activity. There was, uh, 
you know, there, there's whatever we think of the Nephilim and exactly what they were, there was clearly something diabolical going on, idolatrous, false religion. And false religion is always, 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 always accompanied by crass, heinous, wicked sexual immorality. It's like as, as, as the night follows the day, th- those two things are found together. So uh, you can you can you can look throughout history and you see it's a pattern. So and 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 by the way, why why is there so much perversity in the church right now? Why why do we have an article uh, written on the Pillar website, which I'm not a particular fan of, but why why do we have an article, an, an devastatingly good article, but devastating in its content? Um, exposing the fact that there are hits from Grinder in the Vatican in employee only locations within the Vatican. I didn't realize that any that these apps had that much detailed oh, yes. um, oh, ge- geographical oh, information, yes, but yes. It, it makes perfect sense. My, 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 my point is this, that, um, that we have this revolution in the church. It's an anti-doctrinal revolution. It's not, it doesn't end with liturgy. It does not end with liturgy. Uh, but it's anti-doctrinal. It was doctrinal. It was doctrinal before it was liturgical. They they created a new religion, and then they had to try to create a mass that went along with it. And I and I'm not saying that the Novus Ordo is not a mass. I'm not saying that at all. What I'll say is that it's an, it's not as perfect an expression of the Lex Orandi of the Church as the traditional Latin Mass is. I'll leave it at that for now. I now, could go further, but I'll leave it at that for for the, um, for, the for the purpose of of full clarity. Because I knew some people were going to ask this. What's Grinder? All right, all right, pat yourself on the back that you don't know what it is. Stay that way, uh, and don't it's look a it up. up. App for sodomites. Thank you. Do, whatever you do, don't look it up. No, <laughs> you don't it's even. You don't even want. For- look, you don't want your search history to even have it in there. So don't even look it up. Uh, uh, there's one for the uh, for hetero perverts. That's called. Uh, Tinder, Tinder. Tinder. Yeah, it's it, it. There's a bunch of them, Mike. The Tinder, yeah. it, Tinder, and Grinder, I guess, are the big ones in this country. But they're European ones, and they did the research. Somebody did the did a deep dive research and found all the stuff, and they went and presented their findings to Cardinal Parolin, um, who then refused to answer their questions. It was. Yeah, so if you if you want to know if if you want to know the logical outcome of denying uh, of denying the church's teachings, uh, yeah. go there. You know these people they they don't they don't want the truth. So God says, okay, you don't want the truth. I'll, I'll let you I'll let you believe your lies and see how that works out for you. How does that work out for you? You end up being a disgusting sodomite pig. And and then if you don't repent and. You don't get reconciliation uh, or you don't seek reconciliation and truly mean it. You know, there's another part to that confession thing that people never want to talk about. It's like the sincerity part. Uh, I was amazed. Uh, uh, we'll end with this and we'll talk about what's on Reconquest. Uh, next time I see you in October, God willing, I'll bring this with me and I'll show it to you. My grandmother had this wonderful little book that she carried around with her. And it's called The Joy of... Oh, gosh, it's a... I can't think of the name. Anyways, a little handbook you can stick in your pocket. It's filled with prayers and meditations and stuff. But 
At the end of the rosary section, because I use it on the Sunday when I lead the rosary at Mass, before Mass, there was a little th section in there about how to get a plenary indulgence. Right, brother? And it tells you the conditions under which, which usually most people at the end of our rosary, and I'm not knocking anyone, most people just say, those seeking a plenary indulgence, we're going to pray for the Holy Father. That's one condition. That's one the other condition is sacramental confession. You have to mean it. And then reception of the Holy uh, the, the holy Eucharist. So there's three conditions to be met here. Um, and I, I, the only reason I bring that up is that people say, oh, I, just, I could get a plenary indulgence for this or that. Uh, you, you better look that up. That's why that book that, you're, that our friend uh, continues to publish that I swore I was going to get a copies, copies of for store, and I didn't. What's, it's called the Recolta, right? The, the Recolta, yes. I need to get a copy of the Recolta for my house so that <laughs> so that I know and so that all of us know because the church is very, she defines things. But people think that, the you know, the Catholicism is the human element. It's ad hoc, and we just make it up as we go along or change it. Francis isn't doing us any favors in that regard. Mm. But it's very well defined. She defines things very well. If you want to know something and it's Catholic or has anything to do with the faith, or especially eternity and the four final things, it's been defined for us. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It's 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 clear. It's clear. It's very clear. And, and now and now people in the church are trying to make Catholic doctrine as clear as a speech by Joe Biden. Yeah, uh, and, and don't let that happen. That concludes this episode of re, uh, almost said reconquest of Wisdom Wednesday. You almost got insulted, brother. Uh, that uh, <laughs> <laughs> what is uh, the Wisdom Wednesday episode number? I'm going to guess 102. Uh, brother, what's coming up on 288 of Reconquest? 288 tonight is called Traditionis Custodes, A Bridge Too Far. I love it. So yeah. you're crossing it with a great World War II film. Yes, I am. Uh, did you ever see that movie, A Bridge Too Far? I, I did. I did. Uh, Ryan O'Neill, Donald Sutherland. All-star cast. Uh, George C. Scott. Uh, gosh, that's a great film. Hey, Memorial, <laughs> next Memorial Day, we'll have to review it. <laughs> All right. Brother. Well, I got to go, Mike. I have some obligations pressing on me heavily. Thank you very much for Wisdom Wednesday. And, Good, uh, to, uh, uh, Good to talk to you. Welcome, Mike. God bless. And if you see Sister Philomena, tell her I got her Sky message, and we love her, too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Okay. God bless, Mike. All right. God bless you, brother. Thank you very much.